If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter four. And we're gonna be looking at Joshua chapter four. The entire chapter, I'm gonna read the chapter and we're gonna uh, unpack it a little bit. But um, I wanna ask a question here as we, as we get going. By the way, there's a, um, you should have the text printed here on your chairs. It looks like this and there's a place for notes on the back. Um, memorials. What do we have memorials for? in our lives, and, and why? That's what I want us to talk about this morning. We're gonna read a passage that talks about memorializing something, and I want us to be thinking about, first, just basically, why do we do that? And to start off, what are some of the ways that we memorialize things today in our culture? We eat, yeah. We have feasts, celebrations, parties, Thanksgiving, family, yeah. What's that? Oh. I didn't know if you were adding one. We bronze things. Yeah, we make statues of things, right? We, we bronze things to keep them and preserve them. What are some other ways we memorialize things? What's that? Yeah, holidays, right? We have national holidays where we're supposed to remember. The reason I have this day off is to remember these things, yeah. We have wedding rings, right? This is to memorialize something. It's to, it's to represent a much larger reality than just what the ring is itself. What are some other ways? I've noticed one in this town that's uh, not as common in other places as you might think. Tattoos. People get tattoos. If I were to say, how many of you here have a tattoo to memorialize something? Lots of hands would go up in this room and in this city. And we do this. Why do we do this? Why do we memorialize things? I mean, the obvious answer is because we want to remember something, but the other side of that is because as we sang, uh, we're prone, prone to wander, we're, we're prone to forget. And so sometimes even entire cultures will create memorials to things, right? And I have a couple of pictures. Uh, the first one here, let's see, on the slide. Yeah, there's one. A society built a memorial to remember something. And you see this, and what's the question on your mind? What's that about? What is the four-toed statue all about? Let me show you another one. What's that? Stonehenge. And what is Stonehenge? Does anybody know? You don't. And the reason you don't is because nobody does. I came across this online, um, the world's authority on information. Um, perhaps the world's best-known monument is Stonehenge, located in the English country of Wiltshire. It's composed of earthworks surrounding a circular setting of large standing stones and is believed to have been built around 2500 BC, but it's been revised and remodeled over a period of more than 1400 years. Though theories and speculations abound, no one knows what the original purpose of the prehistoric monument was, and it remains one of Earth's great mysteries. There's something tragic, isn't there, when there's a memorial and its story is forgotten. When there's a memorial and people see it, they see Machu Picchu, they see Stonehenge. Did you know, by the way, I was looking online, again, the world's foremost research of authoritative information, and I found that there is, 
on the floor of Lake Michigan, you can look this up, there is a, what they call uh, the Lake Michigan Stonehenge. There is a, 40 feet underneath the surface of the water, there is a, uh, an arrangement of rocks that looks intentional and that actually has petroglyphs carved into it in Lake Michigan. I mean, just, you know, over there. And uh, nobody knows why that is. It's a tragic thing, I think, because, because we see a memorial and we say, why is that there? And it's a tragic thing when there, when there are no storytellers left to tell you why. And we just wonder and we puzzle over this. Joshua 4 tells the story of the people of Israel crossing over into the promised land and it focuses on God instructing them to build a memorial, to build a monument so that the coming generations would never forget what had just happened. And as we read it, I wanna ask the question, it'd be one thing if it was just the people's idea to make a memorial, but God tells them to do it. And the question is, as we think about our own lives and the intentionality in which we live, why would, it be, why would it be God's idea that the people would be people who would make memorials to things? Why would that be something God would want them to do and not just them? Joshua 4, I'm gonna read, um, I'm gonna read the first nine verses of this and then we're gonna unpack it a little bit, but you have the entire text there and we'll be interacting with it some. Joshua 4. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. And when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the stones of the Jordan were cut off, um, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up the 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and there they are to this day. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would uh, speak into our lives, that you would help us uh, to understand what it means to live intentionally and what it means to not just be people who memorialize things, but people who see our lives as memorials. Uh, And Lord, we ask that you would use our lives uh, to tell a story that it would never be lost uh, from, from us, from our lives. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Israel crossed the Jordan River. And you remember last week, we, we, we read about Joshua saying, the Lord saying to Joshua, select a man from each tribe. And we didn't talk about last week why that happened. And, and chapter three didn't really address that, just that he was supposed to choose a man from each of the tribes. Now we find out why. The reason is, is because they were each to represent their tribe and they were to go get a stone and they were to get it from where? They were to get it from the bed of the Jordan River 
where it was now dry, but had previously been the bottom of the river. And it's an amazing thing what God is asking them to do because he's asking them, whoa, my paper just about flew away. He's asking them to build a monument made out of stones that they wouldn't have had access to had it not been for God doing a miracle in their midst. And so in a way, it's, it's a monument built by the hands of men, but out of material that was miraculously provided to them by God himself. And that's what they do. And I think this is a beautiful picture, and here's why. When you start to think of these people, and you start to think about who they are, they're a lot like us. And what I mean by that is they are a people who were a new generation belonging to the Lord. The generations before them were gone. They were, for all intents and purposes, young. If any of them were around during the time in Egypt, they were only children then. They didn't labor as slaves. They didn't remember Joseph. They weren't around when God wrestled with Jacob or when God opened the womb of Abraham's wife, Sarah, and gave them this son, Isaac. They weren't there when Abraham took Isaac up, on, up onto Mount Moriah and, and went to sacrifice him in obedience to the Lord. They weren't there to see the ram caught in the thicket. They had these stories passed on to them, but as for these people themselves, these were a people who so far had done nothing great. They had followed the Lord. They had seen God work. But they're just the descendants of people who had done the great things that they'd grown up hearing. And yet, we see that this is a new generation of God's people, and what is he doing with them? He's loving them as his own in the same way that he loved the generations before. Why does that matter to us? Because if you're anything like me, we feel our newness and our youth in the story of what God is doing in this world. And sometimes it's easy for us to think, he doesn't love our generation like he loved Abraham's generation. He doesn't delight in us in the same way that he did when he brought the people of Israel out of the land of slavery. It's as if we kind of think that God is begrudgingly blessing a generation right now, if he's blessing them at all, but then in his mind he might secretly wish he had Abraham's generation back. You ever feel that way? Like we're a generation that's never really done anything great. That we're just kind of sandwiched between great things that have happened in the past and great things that may be coming, but me, what have I done? And who am I that God would love me? And yet you have these people who were the children of the slaves in Egypt. And God is powerfully working in their midst and he's telling them, build a memorial and never forget this because it's on, it's on you. I'm giving it to you to tell the generations to come what I've done, not just today, but over the last 400 years of my promising you this land. It's a sweet thing that God is being affectionate with these people, though they are relatively new on the scene of what he's doing. For those who cross the Jordan and for us, here's the point. You live and I live in the age and time when God has ordained for us to live. This is your golden age. 
These are the days ordained for you by God himself. His word tells us that, that before a single day, Randy talked about this in the very beginning of the service, that before a single day had come to pass, that God had ordained all of them. This is your golden age. God is living and active and you live and breathe today because God has given you life and breath for today. And he's ordained this from before the foundation of the world that this would be your time and that he would be your God now. And he doesn't have a favorite generation. He's faithful throughout the ages all the time. And so he tells the people to build this memorial to remember, but not just to remember, but also to proclaim. The same language we use for the Lord's Supper. Remember and proclaim. God wants us to be a people who remember what he's done and proclaim our faith in him in, in, in the light of those stories. And so when we get to the New Testament, there's a shift that happens. And the shift is that memorials now move from being wrapped up in places and become things that are represented in the lives of people. Jesus talking with the woman at the well, they had a, a conversation about where people were supposed to worship. And Jesus said, people worship in Jerusalem, but there's coming a time when it's not gonna matter where. It's that people will worship in spirit and in truth, that God will dwell in the hearts of his people, that it won't be bound to geography. And what that means for us is that we're not just called to be people who memorialize things, but we're called to be people who regard our lives as memorials, or as the hymn describes, Ebenezer's. That's what that word means. We sang it today, right? Here I raise my Ebenezer. Daily I'm constrained to be. Ebenezer is a memorial. It's a, it's a stone structure and memorial. And we're to become, in a sense, Ebenezer's. Memorials, testimonies, living, breathing testimonies. What if, what if Midtown Fellowship became a place that was filled with folks who saw themselves as mentors and as shepherds and as leaders, as people who said, my life is here. I'm on this earth to give glory to God and to proclaim him to the world. I'm called to be a testimony that is not forgotten in the lives of others. What if that's what God was doing here at Midtown? We believe it is. We believe that God is doing work, that he's raising up people to do this very thing, to pour into the lives of others and to care for them. Now think about the memorial. When you, when you think about what God asks the people to make, it's relatively, it's made of worthless material. It's just stone in a land that was just stone. But it's a gathering of stones stacked on top of each other, and what does the memorial then end up doing? If our lives are to be memorials, what does it end up doing? It's a stack of stones, but people see it, and they say, what, why is this here? What's the story behind this? We look at Stonehenge, and we say the same thing. Why is this here? What does this mean? And we're disappointed when we say, when, when nobody can answer because we know that it means something. We know that it's there for something. Once the question of why a memorial is there is answered, then it's never again just a pile of rocks for people, is it? I mean, when you build the memorial out of stones, 
And people say, what is it? And the Lord says, that's exactly what they're supposed to ask. Build this so they'll ask. And then when, when they ask, what is it? You tell them. Then when that person looks at it from that point on, it's no longer just a pile of rocks anymore. Now it's a story. Now it's, it, it, it represents something. Now when they see the pile of stones, they think about what has been happening and what God has been doing. Joshua's stack of stones, does it still stand today? I don't know, physically. But I'll tell you something. That memorial still exists. How do I know? We just read about it. That's how we know. It doesn't maybe necessarily exist in a pile of stones near the Jordan River, but it exists here. It has been preserved, and why it was built has been preserved. And we still see in our minds, don't we, the stack of stones, and we know why it was built, don't we? God has preserved that memorial that those guys built in 2010 in Nashville, Tennessee. And he's done it by giving us this, his word, which tells us the story, which is even better, isn't it? Because it doesn't just tell us the story of what happened before, but it tells us the story of what has happened since and how God has been delivering his people and delivering his people and finally delivering his people in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, which makes that crossing of the Jordan look small compared to this kind of deliverance that he's given God calls us to be a people who preserve the story. And that's kind of awesome. And I don't mean awesome in the eighth grade skateboarder kind of sense. I mean it in the awe-inspiring that God would be working in time and in space, that God would be not silent, not distant, not sleeping, not unaware of the struggles that you have in your life and that I have in my life, but that he would be present in them and that he would be working and he would be saying, testify, pour into the lives of people what I'm doing in you. Don't keep this to yourself. Be an Ebenezer. Be a person who is constantly raising questions about God's grace to the broken and hurting. Oh, that our lives would be the kind of lives where people would see us and they would want to know why. They would want to know, why are you kind to me when I'm cruel to you? Why do you cry over my tragedy? Why are you willing to say hard things to me knowing that you risk my rejection. Why? See what we're becoming. We're becoming memorials to something. People are saying, I, I see something in you and I want to understand it. Tell me why. Sometimes the question is just a beautifully simple, why do you love me? And when our lives are prompting these sorts of questions, we're becoming Ebenezer's. We're becoming monuments to grace, and we should want our lives to become monuments to grace. And I want to give you three reasons why. The first is that grace is worth remembering, and we're prone to forget it. We're prone to forget it. I think it's beautiful that God says, build a memorial. Because God doesn't need the memorial. He's going to remember what he's done, but it's for the people. It's for the people to remember. Here's why I think that's beautiful. 
is because God is acknowledging in his instruction, he's acknowledging the flightiness and the temperamentalness and the forgetfulness of his people. He's acknowledging it. He's saying, you need to be a people who, you're a people who need to be reminded. And so I want you to build an Ebenezer. It's not that God says, you're forgetful and I don't even want to, if you're not going to be grateful enough to remember what I've done for you, then forget it. No, he says, build this monument because I know you'll forget it. You'll forget it. And it's a grace that God meets us in our forgetfulness and he helps us. This is grace. This is God saying, I know the stuff you're made of. I know the stuff you're made of. Any monument that's worth seeing is usually the story of great struggle and how it resolved or how it worked itself out. And sometimes they're tragic. But monuments to grace are beautiful because they don't presume that the people involved in the story didn't need grace in the first place. We're saying, I needed this. I needed this and God met me in my greatest moment of need. And then he said, remember. Second, God honors and works through repetition. This is a point when we think about Ebenezer's and we think about memorials, they're there to be something that trigger in our minds a memory over and over and over and over again, right? You see a memorial. We live in the land of memorials out here, right? Civil War plaques everywhere you drive. This battle happened here and this battle happened there and there's usually this thing that tells you kind of what happened and it's this repetition and we get it over and over and over again. Is repetition, let me ask you a question. Is repetition an inauthentic path to true faith? I ask the question because of this. I've worked with college students over the years and one of the things that I've heard a lot of young people who are struggling to find themselves in in their own identity is wrestling with, well, I don't know what I really believe because I know what my parents taught me growing up and I think I believe, but how do I know it's not just them repeating something over and over again? Anybody relate to that? That question of is it really faith if the way that it came into my head was through my parents saying it over and over and over and over again? I think it's a mistake if we just dismiss that as not possibly being real faith. And the reason I think that's a mistake is because what does God tell his people? In Deuteronomy 6, he says, these words I command you and they shall be on your hearts and you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you walk and when you sit and when you lie down and when you rise. God's telling parents, tell them the story of what I'm doing and tell it to them over and over and over and over and over again all the time. There is never a wrong time to be telling them this story. The point is, God works through repetition. And we may be feeling sometimes like we're just one-trick ponies in our relationships with people that all you ever talk about is God. All you ever talk about is grace. All you ever talk about is this struggle and how God worked through it. Could we talk about something else? And it's fine to talk about a lot of other things, but you don't ever have to feel guilty about testifying to God's faithfulness in your life over and over and over and over again. And you don't have to wonder if that's something that God will use to bring about real faith in the hearts and lives of other people because his word says that's what he does. Tell the story and then tell it and then tell it again and then tell it again. Remember and proclaim. Remember and proclaim and keep on doing it until I come again. 
So parents, if you're out there and you're wondering, because it's hard to know what impact you're having in the life of your kids sometimes, all the time, it's hard to know what impact you're having, understand that God is the one who does the work. He's called you to an impossible task. He's called you to proclaim him in order that they might believe, and yet he hasn't given you the ability to make them believe. That's his job. But he says, still, be an Ebenezer. Be a memorial. Be somebody that when your kid looks at you, they know this is the story you represent. This is the story you tell over and over and over. And understand that God is pleased to work in this. The third reason we should want to become memorials to grace is because uh, the story of the gospel is a story of good news of God's ongoing faithfulness throughout generations, that we're talking about ourselves standing at a point on a timeline where God has been, be, been faithful to everything before and he's been faithful and will be ever since, everything after. The monument was made so that children would ask what it meant. And once they got the answer, it wasn't just a pile of stones for them anymore, but instead it was now story. It was story of God working with them. It was their story, the story of miracles, of manna, of victories in battle, of pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. It was the story of victory. It was the story of grandparents baking bricks without straw for a pharaoh that these children never knew. It was the story of 40 years of wilderness wandering. It was the story of promises God had made generations, 400, 500 years before them and them now coming to this place. And it's this reminder, your story, your story right now didn't begin with you. It didn't begin the day you were born. God's faithfulness didn't start the day that you prayed a prayer that he would be faithful to you. If our story is of an unchanging God that is the story of God being faithful to generations before, it's also the story of God being faithful to the generations to come. And you may not always see the way that God is working, but he's always working, and he's always faithful, always. God will use your life to be a lens through which people see the world in a new light. That's what he does. That's what he does. That's what a memorial is for, right? It's for somebody to come up to it and to see it and say, I want to understand what this is about. And then they get the story and they can never unlearn the story. God works this way. So ask big questions of people and give great big answers to hard questions, answers that the Lord gives us. If you've been called to help shape the life of another, it's because God loves them more than you ever could. And he's doing something bigger than you'll ever see. And he's been pleased to raise you up to be for them an Ebenezer. I pray that our hearts would want this. How might you tell the story of the gospel with your friends, with your family, in your church, in your city, whatever spheres of influence you're in, how might you build an Ebenezer of grace to the one who's delivered you? What traditions might you start? Families? What traditions might you start? Things that you will observe, things that you will grow up doing together as a family. 
What opportunities or monuments might you actually build? Photo albums, paintings. You, what, what are you going to do to memorialize the faithfulness and the grace of God in your life? What traditions might you start? What opportunities or monuments might you build? What relationships might you invest in that would point to Christ? I ask you this because this is your golden age. These are the days that the Lord has ordained for you to live. You have one life, and you're living it right now. And I pray that our lives would be memorials to the grace of God in such a way to where that story would never be lost when our story is told. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for the way that you... uh, give us stories in scripture and not just uh, platitudes, not just uh, proverbial wisdom or fables, but that you you give us the accounts of the struggle and the the difficulties of, of a people who can't do what you've called us to do unless you intervene. And thank you for the stories of your intervention, Lord. We ask that you would... Um, stir in our minds and in our hearts ways that we might be intentional in the way that we live, that we would be more than Stonehenge, uh, a picture of something that obviously meant something, but that meaning is lost and forgotten forever. But Lord, that you would use our lives uh, to tell a story that is drenched and rich in meaning, and that would be a story that would go on forever. Um, Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for the gospel being true, and thank you for being the one who calls people to yourself. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.